Boo! It's spooky season because Halloween is next Tuesday. Should you as a Christian or a Christian family participate in this holiday? Are critics too harsh? We'll take a look at some history and, of course, God's Word for the best perspective. Also, in regard to Israel, we'll talk about hostages, U.S. troops under attack, and what the Pope thinks about the war. Plus, we've got trans musicians at the Dove Awards, a nun tackles a protester, and the Republicans finally have a speaker. No, that's not a setup for a joke. Locally, there's an election in two weeks in Knoxville, and you will literally be stunned about a Tennessee high school allowing a potential shooter to come to class. We've got a lot to talk about. I'm Blake Watson, and this is We The Free. As a Christian, there's nothing wrong. In fact, there's everything good about swearing allegiance to the American flag. Why is that? Because of the virtues of which the flag flies. It speaks to our providential founding and has been for nearly 200 years a symbol of freedom to those who seek it. You can fly the American flag with pride from your front porch or out in the front yard. You can even hang one on a wall in the house, the garage, the office, or wherever you wish. I recommend getting a flag that will last and withstand the weather throughout the seasonal changes of the year. So check out the supplies at Allegiance Flags. Check the link in the show notes or head over to WeTheFreeShow.com for more military and first responders get 10% off all orders. Is there really anything wrong with getting the kids dressed up to visit a stranger's house to get candy from them or to spend the season watching spooky movies or to sit around with the kids telling scary ghost stories? Well, for the Christian, the answer is maybe. But maybe is the answer for reasons other than Halloween's pagan roots. We'll we'll get to the history of Halloween in just a moment. In Peter's first letter to the church, he said this to the Christians, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We've talked about this scripture before, but Peter is simply reminding these Christians, and God wants you to know today, that children of God, Christians, must not slip back into their old ways, of satisfying the flesh, which we did before we knew the Lord. But instead, now we must be holy in everything we do because the one who calls us to holiness is holy himself. At the end of verse 16, Peter quotes an Old Testament phrase, which is uttered three times by the Lord, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now the words used for the word holy in the Greek and the Hebrew mean the exact same thing, sacred. And God said it four times, actually, in in the Old Testament and, and once in the New Testament. And it basically means, in other words, I am holy and I want you to be like me. As opposed to what? Well, the first five books of the Old Testament 
generally referred to as the Mosaic Law, are jam-packed with instructions from God to the Hebrew people to make them a holy nation. There's further clarity given to the, the purpose of their holiness in Leviticus 20, 26, in which God says, Thus you are to be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, and I have set you apart, set you apart from the peoples to be mine. He says the Hebrew word baldal there as a description of their holiness when he says that he wants them set apart from the peoples. In other words, God wants us to be holy because that's what his nature demands, but the implications of that holiness is that we will be completely set apart and different from anyone else. As you know, Paul would describe the unconformity or the nonconformity of Christians in Romans chapter 12, and it's what Peter was saying in his first letter as well. Now, with that said, here's the History Channel's explanation of the origins of Halloween. Ages ago, when history was short and winters were dark, tribes of Celtic farmers believed there was one day a year where the season of life meets the season of death, when malevolent spirits could rise from their graves and walk amongst the living. It was Celtic Ireland, BC, and that day was called Samhain, the Celtic word for summer's end. On a day when so many spirits lurked, Druid priests tried to foretell whether their villages would survive the winter. Ordinary Celts lit great bonfires and disguised themselves to repel and confuse the spirits. In the 8th century, in a likely attempt to distract the Celts from their pagan practice, Pope Gregory III established All Hallows Day, a day honoring all saints, known and unknown, on November 1st. Europeans accepted the new holiday but saw no reason not to enjoy their traditional rituals as well. And soon, Samhain became known as All Hallows' Eve. From there, it was a short walk to the name we all know today, Halloween. Predictably, such a heathen tradition was of no interest to America's first Puritans, and so it, like Europe, was left behind. Until the mid-19th century, when a potato famine drove over a million starving Irish and their folklore across the Atlantic and into America's port cities. An ocean from home and immersed in a cultural melting pot, their traditions began to change. The roaring bonfires shrank to lanterns carved from gourds, the first jack-o'-lanterns, and the Celts' demonic disguises became the sinister costumes of modern-day Halloween. The origins of trick-or-treating remain unclear. It is believed to have stemmed from a custom known as souling, in which the poor went from home to home and prayed for the souls of each family's dead, in exchange for small cakes to eat. By the early part of the 20th century, Halloween was gaining a foothold as an American institution. Mass-produced Halloween costumes became commonplace, making Halloween one of the most profitable holidays on the calendar earning retailers billions of dollars. Halloween's appeal transcends age, delighting both children and, yes, even adults alike. It's a day to step into costume, gorge on sweets, throw ghoulish galas, and scare ourselves silly. The truth is frightfully clear. Not even a silver bullet could stop Halloween now.
Now that was a lot of history packed into just a few minutes, but what is now Halloween began as a pagan ritual in Northern Europe, which is very similar to the Mexican celebration of Dia de los Muertos, whereas some are simply remembering the dead and others believe they can actually have spiritual connections with the dead. Um, the Catholic Church, coincidentally, scheduled a holiday weekend on that same weekend to remember and honor the saints of the church and those that had died for the church or, or were martyred. The day of celebration was called All Saints Day, which had an added prior evening celebration called All Hallows' Eve, the etymological precursor to Halloween, All Hallows' Eve to Halloween. Then you add the odd inception of the Irish customs to create trick-or-treating, and you've got this strange holiday associated with the dead in, in many ways and shapes and forms, literally. The point is, only the name of this holiday at this point has any association with Christianity. Everything else about Halloween is deeply connected to paganism and, and other things, which we'll get to in just a moment. But let's also consider the word holiday. Um, the word holiday comes from the Old English meaning holy day. And that's what it meant for a while in its original form. So the question is, is Halloween a holy day? I mean, I guess if you're Catholic and you celebrate All Saints Day, then, then maybe Halloween could be considered a holy day. But for Protestant denominations, does Halloween compare to Easter or, or Christmas, for example? Two dates or celebrations which are very obviously holy days? Well, just think about what Halloween is in 2023. A, a professor at Northeastern University in Boston, James Allen Fox, he says, the evening violent crime count on October 31st is about 50% higher than on any other date during the year, and twice the daily average. He also said, the most popular hours for gathering Snickers and junior mints around the neighborhood are apparently also the prime time for violent crime. So that research concluded that Halloween is the most violent day of the year in the United States. Why is that? Halloween and the month of October are also high times for the release and the re-watching of horror films. I mean, the very purpose of the genre is to, to scare you or to horrify you, and that's why these movies depict nothing but violence, murder, demonic possessions, evil spirits, and death. And just to recount some of the current and modern Halloween classics, the movie It, it's about a demonic clown who's intent on murdering children. The Exorcist and the other related films uh, demonstrate a fascination with demonic spirits and possession. And there are plenty of other movies that fixate on that same fascination. Annabelle, The Ring, The Grudge, Paranormal Activity, The Conjuring, The Nun, etc. You've also got uh, the monstrous killer movies like Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, the movie Saw. And this just plays off and, and speaks to 
the imagery and characterizations associated with Halloween. It's not just because of the movies or the old scary stories. I mean, think about the decorations and, and the costuming, as you just saw in the History Channel piece. Parents uh, dress their kids up and they dress up as ghosts, the dead, zombies, mummies, skeletons, Frankenstein's monster, demons, the devil, witches, vampires, werewolves, etc. But a Christian parent might say, well, we don't dress our kids up in these evil costumes. Yeah, but you'll subject them to others who do. And in doing so, you're trivializing and normalizing things that are evil. Now, before you get mad at me and, and unsubscribe from my channel, hear me out. Or better yet, let's, let's hear the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 very simply says, Abstain from every form of evil. The word translated evil, poneros, means toilsome or bad, and it's a derivation from the word uh, ponos, which means pain. So when Paul talks about this evil, it's also as if he's instructing us to avoid evil and the pain that comes with it. When Paul says the word apeko, which was translated to abstain, that Greek word means to be distant. And then in that same verse, there's also the, the Greek word eidos, which depending on your translation could say the word form or the word appearance. But the Greek clearly denotes external physical appearance, what can literally be seen. Leon Morris specifies the meaning here to be evil which can be seen and not that which appears to be evil. Paul Hybert paraphrased Paul's command saying, they are to shun evil in whatever form or appearance it may present itself. That means Christians are to stay away from or distance themselves from things which are literally evil and visibly so. Now this poses an important question. What constitutes evil? Evil doesn't you know, specifically mean things that have come directly from Satan himself, but just anything that is not good. And there are, there are only things that are good or evil. There, there is really no middle option. Things are either life or death, dark or light, black or white. In fact, there, there isn't much in life at all that is that is eternally insignificant because you exist as both a, a temporary physical being and you also exist as an eternal spiritual be being. Everything has eternal implications. The prior verse says to examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. The literal translation of that verse says, uh, All things, however, test. To the good, hold fast. Now this shows us where to carefully examine and scrutinize everything in our Christian lives. The word good from the, the Greek word kalos means beautiful, good, noble, and honorable. And when you combine these things with what we've discovered about holiness earlier, that gives us a pretty clear definition of evil. It's the opposite of good. 
It is the opposite of holiness. It is the opposite of, of God, who is light, life, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, and goodness. So evil is everything that is darkness, death, hatred, violence, anarchy, badness, and everything worldly, secular, and pagan. There is no middle ground. So what are you as a Christian or Christian parent supposed to do on Halloween? Again, it, it depends because here's the thing. Halloween can be the celebration of and the normalization of evil. If you go trick-or-treating or you watch scary movies, you're likely participating in the pagan holiday, trivializing, minimizing, and normalizing evil for your kids or yourself. However, if your church, for example, does something like a trunk or treat, that's avoiding the appearance of evil. Jesus told his disciples they needed to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So you've got to be smart about what you subject your soul to and obviously, as a parent, that's your greatest responsibility. The movie The Usual Suspects uh, uses this adapted line from Charles Baudelaire, which is, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Similarly, in the book Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis created these, these fictional demons writing letters to each other, uh, screw tape and wormwood about their efforts to destroy a Christian, uh, Wormwood has asked Screwtape about making his presence known to the subject, to the man. Screwtape says, when the humans disbelieve in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism and we make no magicians. Historically, Screwtape is referring to those that participate in witchcraft or dark magic or black magic. He also says, on the other hand, when they believe in us, we can't make them materialists and skeptics. In other words, when people deny or dismiss the existence of evil forces, the enemy loses their opportunity to directly strike fear in us for us to be terrified of them, which they love, and they lose the chance to inspire obsessions with evil spiritualism, like witchcraft. When people accept and acknowledge the existence of evil forces, the enemy can't trick them into disbelief or lifestyles without spiritual concern, which is to say that we couldn't be forced into materialism. However, Screwtape believed a day was coming when they could create materialist magicians or people that live lives obsessed with the physical world while accepting the forces of evil, like believing in them, yet denying the existence of Jesus. This is what he says. I have great hopes that we shall learn in due time how to emotionalize and mythologize their science to such an extent that what is in effect, a belief in us will creep in while the human mind remains closed to belief in the enemy. And by enemy, they mean Jesus. Is this what you see today? 
Screwtape also says, The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights, and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. And that sounds like the modern view of Halloween, even from so-called Christians. Lewis suggested through this fictional conversation that Christians trivialize evil through demonic influence. A few chapters later in the book, Screwtape is cautioning Wormwood's hastiness when he says, he must not be allowed to suspect that he is now, however slowly, heading right away from the sun on a line which will carry him into the cold and dark of utmost space. The idea here is that people, but especially Christians, can be ever slowly desensitized to sin and evil to the eventual point of either acceptance, normalization, or as I've said, trivialization. And the thing about evil, to, to use a word from the liberals, it's intersectional. You've heard of intersectionality, right? This is where oppressed groups and minorities and, and political movements converge. As an example, the White House press secretary, Corinne uh, Jean-Pierre, is a black lesbian woman. Three minority classifications at an ideological crossroads or an intersection. They are distinct and yet they're connected. My wife and kids and I used to live in a suburban area and there was one house on the end of the street who in October for Halloween would go all out in decorations. They would convert their backyard into a cemetery complete with tombstones and bodies emerging from the ground, the undead headed to, like walking towards the road, guts spilling out of them, and elsewhere they had a blood-soaked guillotine, a bloody will of death, and other just gruesome decorations. So all of these terribly evil things in October, and then for the rest of the year the house was decorated with pride flags and sexual ideology slogans, especially in the month of June. Do you think these are unrelated? Do you think it's unrelated that their car had, you know, pro-choice bumper stickers? No. Evil comes in many forms, but we as Christians are to test all things, hold to that which is good, and avoid all evil. Ephesians 5 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, and there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. So, even though we're talking about Halloween, this applies to the Christian life in general. We should do everything we can, everything we can, to protect our hearts and souls from every form of evil. Stay away from it. It's detrimental, and it's almost subliminal. We indulge ourselves on worldly things and entertainment, con- convincing ourselves that there's, there's no consequence, there's no harm in this, it's okay, it's just fun. But the truth is, as you expose yourself to you know, scenes of, of gore and violence and sexuality and nudity and profanity and vulgarity, it's the same thing as trivializing the evils of Halloween. It dispenses you to evil and damages your heart. So enjoy your candy, but Christians and Christian parents should be very cautious to protect their own soul, your soul, and your children's souls from all sorts of evil. Now let's get to the national news feed. The last few weeks I've departed from our usual format to do special episodes devoted to single topics. I did an entire hour on immigration and Uh, the explanation of what's happening at the southern border, an hour and a half on Israel and Palestine, explaining the entire history and the real motives behind both sides, including the biblical perspective on war and killing and self-defense, and another hour on LGBTQ plus Christianity, which quickly became the most popular episode thus far. I really recommend you go listen to or watch those episodes because they will help you be the salt and light that the world and the church desperately need right now. But today we're back to our normal format, so let's talk about the most important stories in the national spotlight. For an update on Israel, probably the the most important thing is that four hostages out of over 220 have been released by Hamas. Now, if you're like me, you probably were confused by this at first because you're wondering, like, why would they give away their leverage? Because that is the purpose of taking hostages, especially in a situation where the bad guy wants more than a ransom. They're they're interested in a lot more than just money. So what happened here and, and why in the world are they doing this? Well, John Bolton told Newsmax that Hamas is... Quote, trying to delay the entry by the Israeli Defense Forces into Gaza to dig in further to create more booby traps for them, and it puts the lives of the remaining 200-plus hostages in even further jeopardy. Joe Trusman from the Foundation of, uh, for Defense of Democracies tweeted, Hamas says it has released two hostages. The group also says the hostages were released due to humanitarian reasons. While this may sound like a credible excuse, it's not. It's simply a tactic to create international pressure on Israel to delay a ground incursion into Gaza. I mean, 
it is ridiculous for a terrorist group to claim humanitarianism after raping, murdering, decapitating, pillaging, and kidnapping thousands of people. But this speaks to a facet of this war that I think most are dismissing, and that is that Hamas is wielding the weapon of the media. It's like the, the new war version of propaganda. All the liberals will say, look how generous, generous they are. You know, that, that really does say something about them. Well, yeah, it actually does, and Hamas is using people as weapons. That's, that's what it says. That's what it means. The Jerusalem Post reported, Israel's Shin Bet Security Service and Police Force jointly interrogated six detainees from Gaza, terrorists, who participated in the destruction and mass murder of October 7, 2023. Each terrorist had a slightly different experience, but Israeli intelligence forces noted a number of common themes. All the Hamas agents were given explicit instructions to kill and kidnap civilians, including the elderly, along with women and children. While they did this, their commanders stayed behind in Gaza. In other words, it's absolutely clear that Hamas planned all along to take hostages in order to use people as weapons against Israel, as they've done for years, placing their, their military uh, bases or their weapon systems right next to where people are, schools and hospitals and communities. We call that human shields. And as I've said in the past, that Israel uses rockets to protect its people while the Palestinians use people to protect its rockets. But here's another thing Israel's obtained from these interrogations. One of the terrorists told Israeli forces that whoever brings a hostage back to Gaza gets $10,000 and an apartment. So not only were hostages a part of the plan, but they would receive a special reward for doing so. And again, it would just depress you to follow the money from the United States to Iran to Hamas. So just do yourself a favor and don't do that today. But in other Middle East news, have you heard that U.S. forces have been attacked seven times in the last week? Yeah, I, I hadn't either because the, the President of the United States has not said a single word about it. Nicole Wells is reporting, U.S. troops have been repeatedly attacked in Iraq and Syria in recent days. U.S. officials said Thursday as Washington is on heightened alert for activity by Iran-backed groups with regional tensions soaring during the Israel-Hamas war. Now, this raises a valid question. Who, who are these Iran-backed groups and, and where are they? Well, there are several Islamic terrorist groups uh, which Iran uses as like proxy militias to do some of their bidding. And they're all over the place, in Syria, in Iraq, in Yemen, in Lebanon, and you guessed it, in Palestinian territories. With tensions spiking in the Middle East, U.S. forces in the region are facing increasing threats as a Navy warship shot down missiles appearing to head toward Israel on Thursday and American bases in Iraq and Syria were repeatedly targeted by drone attacks. This morning, rising tensions after a U.S. Navy destroyer shot down three cruise missiles and several drones launched by Iranian-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen. 
For the first time, the U.S. taking military action to defend Israel. The Pentagon saying the missiles were launched from Yemen northward, potentially towards Israel. We cannot say for certain what these missiles and drones were targeting, but they were launched from Yemen, heading north along the Red Sea, potentially towards targets in Israel. These missile launches come as the U.S. is bolstering its firepower in the region, a second carrier strike group soon joining U.S. warships already in the Mediterranean, and additional fighter aircraft also being sent, all meant as a deterrent. By posturing these U.S. naval assets and advanced fighter aircraft in the region, we aim to send a strong message intended to deter a wider conflict to bolster regional stability and, of course, to make it clear that we will protect and defend our national security interests. The Houthi rebel leader had just warned the U.S. last week against intervening in the Hamas-Israeli conflict, threatening missile and drone strikes. Later Thursday, a U.S. official said there had been an attack near Baghdad's airport, where U.S. forces are hosted. An array of other drone attacks over the past three days did target U.S. bases, including one in southern Syria on Thursday that caused minor injuries. Since Tuesday, militants have launched at least four drone attacks on U.S. military installations in Iraq and Syria, where U.S. troops train local defense forces and support the mission to counter the Islamic State group. The most recent drone attack was Thursday at Al-Assad Air Base in western Iraq, the Islamic resistance in Iraq posted a statement claiming responsibility for the attack, saying uh, they had fired a salvo of rockets at the base and, quote, they hit their targets directly and precisely. Also Thursday, the Al-Tanf garrison in southeastern Syria was struck by drones. U.S. troops have maintained a presence at the base for a number of years to train Syrian allies and, mon and monitor Islamic State militant activity. Now, there's obviously no mistake that this is a direct response to American involvement and in support of Israel, even though we're hated almost equally. I mean, Americans are almost, almost viewed as repugnant as Jews are to these Arab nations and these jihadist groups, not only because we support Israel, but because we're still known to the world for our Judeo-Christian values and foundational beliefs. That should tell you something about the liberals who are trying their darndest to revolutionize our culture. Have you heard what amazing, profound, and, and revelatory statements the Pope issued on the Israel and Palestine war? This is what he said. Once again, my thoughts go to what is happening in Israel and Palestine. I'm very concerned and saddened. I pray for and am close to all those who are suffering, the hostages, the injured, the victims, and their families. I think of the grave humanitarian situation in Gaza, and am saddened that the Anglican Hospital and the Greek Orthodox Parish have also been hit in recent days. I renew my appeal for spaces to be opened, for humanitarian aid to continue to arrive, and for hostages to be freed. Anything radical so far? No? Okay, let's, let's keep going. War. Every war in the world, I am also thinking of the martyred Ukraine, is a defeat. War is always a defeat. It is the destruction of human fraternity. Brothers, stop. Stop.
Well, that's it. And this is one of the central problems that I have with the Catholic Church at the moment. This man should not be your leader. He's not a, a holy father in the least, especially with some of the other stances he's taken lately. But in this short statement, he refers to the humanitarian situation in Gaza. How about the, the grave humanitarian situation in Israel, which these Gazans caused? He's sad about some churches that were destroyed by Israel, but what about the 1,000-plus dead Israelis who were brutally murdered? How about that? And, and, and what the Pope won't admit, and, and the liberals here won't admit, is that there wouldn't be a humanitarian crisis for two reasons. If the people of Gaza had never elected a terrorist group to govern them, who in turn attacked Israel, and this same governing group they elected won't let these poor, innocent Palestinians leave because they're being forced to stay for the reasons we talked about last week. But no, the poor Palestinians suffering at the hands of the evil Jews. He refers to the uh, Ukrainian martyrs. I don't even have time to explain that one today, but he also makes the blanket statement that every war is a defeat. That's not even biblical. Again, I, I explained this last week. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. But can someone in the Vatican tell the Pope uh, maybe he should read Revelation chapter 19? I, I mean, just, just, just one thing. That... that Maybe, maybe tell him not to read it, because that would be upsetting to, to see to him, to see the Lord Jesus waging war with his heavenly army, with his sword coming out of his mouth and his robe dipped in blood. Anyways, um, and finally, for your, your Israel update, some, some actual good news here. Governor Ron DeSantis took it upon himself and the state of Florida to airlift and evacuate 300 Americans from Israel. Now, that's some humanitarian effort and a brilliant political move as he, you know, subtly throws shade at the president. In other news, does anybody care about the Dove Awards? I mean, seriously, like, if you do, I really want to know. Well, if you don't, then you probably don't know anything about this story. Derek Webb, a three-time Dove Award winner in the past, which is the award ceremony for Christian music. Uh, he attended the recent Dove Awards and came to the awards program wearing a dress with a couple friends in tow, one of which was a drag queen Christian music artist named Flamey Grant. Here's a picture of the trio. Now, it wouldn't surprise you to know that Webb divorced his wife a decade ago after admittedly having an affair, and despite having renounced his faith, he continues to put out music under the banner of Christian contemporary music, like the song God in Drag, in which he sings, You've heard it said, Oh God so loves, but he'll reject you. If you so choose, he will respect you. And for all time, he'll disconnect you from his love and those who've left you 
and in the skies live on without you, while the devil's flames surround you, in that place that he designed to, for eternity, remind you of the choice that's now behind you. Either way, I bet you'll break a sweat. Well, other than the wretched songwriting, the lyrics are just blasphemous and allude to the false prophecy or teaching that you can act out on your sexual fetishes and be ultimately considered righteous. Again, I spent an entire hour on this last week, but just to be clear, that is what drag is. Men wearing woman face, dressing up like hideous Halloween characters or ghastly caricatures of women because they're sexually aroused by the images of and the thoughts of themselves as the opposite sex. That's what it is. And in recent times, they're also aroused by performing in their costumes in front of little kids. Flamey Grant, whose actual name is Matthew Blake, says, Flamey is how I free myself, and it's turned out how I connect with other people who need a little liberation. If my sexuality and identity hadn't been so repressed by toxic religion, I'm sure I would have found drag earlier, but I have no regrets. Now, I've looked all over for a statement from the Dove Awards or the, the Gospel Music Association, and they've not said anything. And many of us are wondering why these perverts were allowed to attend in the first place. So far, no answer. If we follow the liberal logic, you know, silence is complicity. So to the GMA and, and the Dove Awards, we will assume that your silence signals your support for Derek and Matthew and the rest. You can correct the record whenever you like. In other news, the Republicans finally united to elect a speaker after a three-week period of the House being speakerless, and they have elected Representative Mike Johnson from the 4th District of Louisiana. And in case you're not familiar with Mike or even the Heritage Foundation, the, the Heritage Foundation gives uh, every member of Congress, both uh, in the House and the Senate, a score based on how they vote. A score of 100, for example, means a congressman has voted 100% in line with liberty. A score drops from 100 if they have voted against liberty. Like Nancy Pelosi, for example, <laughs> has a score of 12 out of 100. Well, Mike Johnson has a lifetime score of 90%, which is really good. So this is, this is great news. Um, he is uh, apparently a, a Christian man, and he is very confrontational to the liberals. And President Trump also thought it was good news. Here's what he had to say. Congratulations to Representative Mike Johnson. He will be a great speaker. Make America great again. So Trump is, <laughs> Trump is clearly excited, and uh, Mike Johnson himself tweeted the following. It is the honor of a lifetime to have been elected the 56th Speaker of the House. Thank you to my colleagues, friends, staff, and family for the unmatched support throughout this process. It has been an arduous few weeks and a reminder that the House is, is as complicated and diverse as the people we represent. 
The urgency of this moment demands bold, decisive action to restore trust, advance our legislative priorities, and demonstrate good governance. Our House Republican Conference is united and eager to work. As Speaker, I will ensure the House delivers results and inspires change for the American people. We will restore trust in this body. We will advance a comprehensive conservative policy agenda, combat the harmful policies of the Biden administration, and support our allies abroad. And we will restore sanity to a government desperately in need of it. Let's get back to work. Now, why did it take three weeks? And, and why did we go through so many names and people? Well, you've just witnessed the kind of the underbelly of politics. And, and it's the underbelly that you, you usually don't get to see just out in the open. But in this situation, you're seeing it and no one's really explaining it. So I will. Long story short, uh, there's a bunch of deal-making going on, and, and there's a bunch of deal-breaking or outright refusals to, to make deals. I mean, for example, Jim Jordan could not get the vote of about 20 Republicans. Well, that's because Jordan wouldn't make a deal with the, those 20 people. Um, uh, Congressman number one says, Jim, I'm, I'm not going to vote for you unless you do this for me. And then Congresswoman number two says, Jim, the only way I'll vote for you is if you scratch my back. And then Congressman 3 says, uh, Mr. Jordan, there's no way I'm going to make you speaker if you don't grease my palms. And Jordan, being one of the most principled men in Washington, D.C., says, no thanks, and drops out after three failed votes. I mean, if you just think back to earlier this year, this is why it took McCarthy 14 separate votes to become the speaker. He had to compromise and make deals and scratch backs and make promises and commitments. And then after 14 attempts, he finally became speaker. And then he was removed when he broke one of those promises. He didn't keep one of those deals. So the establishment Republicans are, are not wanting to settle until they get someone that they think they can manipulate and abuse and, and wield. But it's impossible to know if that's the case with Mike Johnson yet. But... We shall see soon enough. Now, have you all seen the clip of a French nun tackling a climate protester? Cue the Monday Night Football music. So as you can see in the clip, this group of climate activists uh, not only protesting the construction of this new French cathedral, but they're literally destroying construction materials, like the pipes you see them crushing with their feet. And that's when this, this unnamed nun runs into the frame and takes one of them to the ground. I mean, she's no dick butt kiss, but I, I bring this up for one reason. The liberal progressive wing of, of the church paints a false image of compassion as they concoct a woke Jesus. Woke Jesus is always nice. He's never offensive. He's always inclusive. He's always accepting. He's never exclusive or rejectionary. But the real Jesus is almost the opposite. Sometimes he wasn't Mr. Nice Guy. Sometimes he was offensive. He literally is exclusive. 
And sometimes he might come into the temple in Jerusalem and flip tables over and crack whips and run people out. Why? Because he's holiness in the flesh, and he won't stand for his father's house to be disrespected. In modernity, however, what are we to do when the bride of Christ is under assault? The church. Well, I submit to you that maybe we should flip some tables over or crack some whips or drive some people out or tackle some people like Sister Saxalot here. In, in love, of course. Well, let's get to some local news now. You probably need some roof repairs. If you feel that water dripping every time it rains or those shingles are starting to look kind of bad, the sooner you act, the better. So call my friends over at Turner Exteriors for an estimate on your roof today. If you tell them Blake sent you, they'll give you $500 off your new roof. Now, I know the guys and gals over at Turner Exteriors. They do amazing work. You will love the new life they bring to your home. First, for some Knoxville news, I reported two months ago in the Knoxville primary elections who the options were for Knoxvillians for mayor, three city council seats, and one municipal judgeship. Because of the local election rules, if anyone gets more than 50% of the primary votes, they're automatically the winner, not needing to even compete in the, the general election this November. Um, if someone did not reach more than 50% of the votes, the top two contenders advanced to the general election on Tuesday, November 7th. Um, I also reported shortly afterward the results of the primaries. Uh, the mayoral race was decided as incumbent mayor India Kincannon was re-elected. Lynn Fugate also won the primary, but this was due to the unfortunate circumstance of Cameron Brooks passing away. Um, but the remainder of the offices have yet to be decided until in about two weeks, November 7th. So with the election less than two weeks away, I encourage you to go back and listen to or watch our very first episode in which I described each of these candidates. But for time's sake, I'll simply tell you who the best option is, who the best options are for the Christian. For city council seat B... You should vote for R. Bentley Marlowe for City Council Seat C. Vote for Tim Hill. And for Municipal Judge, it's really a toss-up between Judge Rawson and Tyler Cavanis. This was a total surprise, um, but I would encourage you to re-elect Judge Rawson. He's been in this position for almost 30 years, and I think he should stay. There was also just one thing I, I, I really didn't like on Tyler's website, and that was this sort of like virtue signaling and his invoking of George Floyd. Um, now, in case you didn't hear in the news this week, there's even more autopsy evidence clearly showing that George Floyd was not murdered or choked to death. But in fact, it was an overdose of fentanyl. So if Tyler wants to redact that information from his website, remove it, he can. But regardless, I think you should vote for Judge Rawson. Now, scaling out to a broader Tennessee, um, here's a report from Luke Rosiak over at the Daily Wire. The headline reads, Tennessee school 
put would-be shooter in classroom, told parents to become left-wing activists if they objected. Then Luke's subheading reads, Parents say school district falsely blamed state lawmakers and directed them to become activists at the state capitol where a gun restrictions debate was going on. So here's what Luke reported. Just months after three children were slaughtered at a Christian school in the state's capital, a Tennessee public school district returned a student to the classroom who last year threatened to shoot up his school, putting him in close quarters with students who had testified against him in court. Ninth graders at Giles County High School in a rural community an hour, about, about an hour south of Nashville showed up for the new school year this August to find that the boy who 16 months prior was arrested for his plan to shoot up their middle school had rejoined them in high school. About seven of them had testified against him in court last year, detailing how he had a list of students he intended to kill, had a date picked out, and was running drills to practice the act. Now he was back, and they believed had an additional motive for carnage. And, and by that, they mean that these students had testified against him. So that means when this kid was a seventh grader, a seventh grader, he made plans, made a hit list, and threatened to shoot up his middle school. He's removed from that school, but 16 months later, he rejoins those same students at a different school, this time as a freshman in high school. Now, why on earth would a school district do something so imbecilic? When parents raised their concerns to the school district, it falsely stated that laws from the Republican-controlled State House were to blame for the situation. So, right there, you can immediately see that this is political. When the parents raise their concerns, they're told it's because of the Republican state legislators. Nothing to do with safety, but politics. And listen to this. Parents say the school told them to become activists in this special session where Democrats were pushing for gun control if they had a problem with it. They blame the state Republicans. And just keep in mind, this is after the Nashville school shooting. And then they tell the parents the solution to their problem, the boy who wants to shoot up the kids, is to go push for gun control. Go be an activist, they say. And, and this is in Middle Tennessee, folks. In Middle Tennessee. Parents say handling of the incident sent the message that the top priority isn't stopping school shootings, but rather pushing gun restrictions. They feared that the school was willing to put parents through a nightmare in order to get them to join with left-wing activists protesting in Nashville. So, just to be clear, this isn't my conclusion or Luke Rosiak's conclusion, but the conclusion of the parents that the school district is intentionally leaving a deadly student in the classroom just to push the gun control garbage. So, then they make up a lie. The school system won't explain why it apparently failed 
with the district saying the high school uh, wasn't aware of the student's recent disciplinary record. So we're supposed to believe that the high school just, they, they just didn't know. They, they, they just didn't know anything about a kid who, you know, threatened and, and listed and, and planned and practiced shooting up his middle school. I doubt it. There's one mother, Hannah Riley, whose son was tipped off by the would-be shooter who, who pressed the school for answers. The article says the school system directed her to its outside attorney, Tim Underwood. Riley and her husband asked him how their child was being kept safe, but the attorney, quote, kept wanting to bring in gun rights. The attorney said to them, if I had it my way, there'd be more gun restrictions. That means even the school district's outside attorney was an activist as well. This same mother also points out that a freshman in high school isn't even old enough to, to purchase a firearm, which <laughs> ruins the, 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 the school district's entire stance. But that is indicative of the genuine effort here. They don't just want to keep guns out of the hands of criminals. They want no citizen anywhere in the United States to have firearms. And I don't have to tell you the historical implications of something like that coming to fruition. Riley said she called the school district this summer to ensure the culprit wouldn't be matriculating at the high school alongside witnesses, but the district ignored her. On the first day of school, her son texted her that the boy was there, and she immediately picked him up. This is ridiculous, and it's stunning that this is a story in one of the freest states in the country. A mother is literally so scared for her son's life, and the school district ignores her and leaves a dangerous student in the classroom on purpose because of political ideology. The principal told Riley that he was unaware of the student's background, even though Riley had reminded the district in advance, and that her son could have an excused absence, absence for his safety. But when she met with the school resource officer days later, she learned that the principal still hadn't even told the security the student's name, she said. So the on-site police officer wasn't even informed. This almost seems like a, a science fiction story, but unfortunately, it's very real. Riley enrolled her son in an out-of-district school at considerable personal costs. When numerous others withdrew their kids from the school, fearing for their lives, it became clear that it would be the subject of controversy at a school board meeting August 17th. The school board, perhaps anticipating the impending uproar, used a parliamentary maneuver to remove the usual public comment portion of the meeting. So now they're dabbling in silencing and suppression. Is, is this communist China? The local Giles County police captain, Joe Purvis, said that prior to the school shooting threats, the culprit had also been arrested for an unrelated assault in school on May 17th, 2021. He was suspended for the remainder of the school year, Purvis said, a brief 12 days. So it was 
near the end of the following school year in April 2022 that he was charged with five accounts or sorry five counts of threats of mass violence on school property and one count of harassment Purvis said in other words here's another criminal yet this time a juvenile who was arrested and then let right back into school Captain Purvis said it frustrates me to no end when people in government just won't accept and acknowledge that they made a mistake. That's all you got to do, Purvis said. If I've got 20 other kids suffering, the greater good is to remove that kid. I don't get it. Well, Captain Purvis, I, I do get it, and so do these parents. Their kids are being used as pawns in a political game. And with this delinquent still in Giles County School, um, Giles County High School, this game has a, a ticking time bomb and the blood will be on their hands. To me, this story perfectly illustrates the hypocrisy of the left. But for those of you that are parents, this should put you on the alert. I mean, for those of you living in Giles County, you need to clean house in the next couple elections. You need to file lawsuits against the school district. You need to look into impeachments. And I'm talking all the way up to the, the top with, with Graham Stowe or Stout. I'm talking about the, the school board and, and Terry Arbogast, the superintendent. Get Don Thomas out of the high school. Get these bloodthirsty, woke pushers away from your kids, and maybe that will take care of this psychotic problem. Well, if I didn't offend the liberals with my Halloween segment, then surely that just did the trick. Well, that's going to do it for me. What will it be next time? We'll see. For now, go and be the salt and light you were meant to be. And we will see you next time on We the Freak.